You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. I need you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. Not a... Bible uh, book that we go to so often. I feel like that's a little bit loud. Is it loud? Um, Hosea chapter 4. Might need your glossary to find it. It's a little bit hard to find. Um, The book of Hosea chapter 4. We're going to talk. I'm uh, covering for Brother Kronbach this this month, actually. Uh, He's had some things to come up. Uh, with work, it's going to be a very busy month for him, and so he's asked me to cover for him, and it's always my honor to get the opportunity uh, to preach and to teach God's Word. It is, it is my calling to, to preach. I love to preach. I love the opportunities to preach. Uh, we are going to talk, at least today, I'm not exactly sure what we will do in the coming weeks, but at least today, um, we're going to talk about doctrine, about a doctrine of God, what we think about God, who God is based upon what the Bible has to tell us. Um, today, in particular, we are going to talk about God as incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. You know, many of the Bible doctrines that we, we talk about and that we learn about, it seems that some days they, they, just, they just don't, they don't hit us. Um, they don't hit us in a way in which they change our lives because the truth is, is that if we learned more about God, our lives would be changed. I was talking with my wife on the way home from a place... Uh, that we went to, went to the treehouse on Friday, took our kids to the treehouse to play. Um, and I was talking with her, and we were watching this beautiful, gorgeous sunset. And when you observe God's creation and, and all of the things around it, you come to appreciate God in so many different ways. We read in the Bible, particularly in Psalms and in other places in the Bible, about particularly also in Romans chapter 1 about how God has shown his power. God has shown his majesty through the creation of the world. And as I was watching that sunset, beautiful sunset on Friday evening, I was watching the sunset, it was just a perfect view, um, driving back home, talking to my wife about the miracle of life. I was talking to her about um, how I, I was, uh, back in college, I was a biology major, a chemistry minor. I really focused a lot on biochemistry and things like that. I, I couldn't tell you one animal from another. When a lot of people associate biology, they think that I should know the names of all animals. I, I don't. I don't know any animals. I don't know any insects. I don't know about any of that. I studied, you know, the small molecules and how they interact with each other. I studied physiology and, and what takes place in the body and how, how it works together. And I've forgotten so much of that. But I was communicating to her of just the miracle of life. Sperm meets the egg and then 
it divides, and then it divides, and then it divides. It divides into 2 and 4 and 8 and 16 and 32 and 64 and 108. And I think my math just went off a little bit there. 128 and, and so on and so forth. My strong suit is not math. Okay? God has all gifted us with different abilities. You put... You put a hammer and a screwdriver in my hand, and I swear to you, my IQ goes down to about 70. I am an idiot, okay? Um, but I, I do have a strong interest in certain things about biology because I think it just creates such wonder and majesty of the all-powerful God that we have. I remember taking a class called histology and it sounds like history and biology, but it has nothing to do with history. It's the study of tissues. So you take tissues under a microscope and you study them and you learn about them. You learn the different tissues, the muscle tissues, the bone tissues, the heart tissues, and the brain tissues and all of those other things. And when you study the, the development of a child, you have a sperm and an egg and it divides and then it divides and it divides into this clump of cells. The abortionists like to call them a clump of cells, just a clump of cells. But inside that initial sperm and that initial egg, there's, it's a one-celled organism. But it's not just an organism. It is a living soul. It has a soul and it has a spirit. It can't think yet. It has no heartbeat. But it is a soul and it is a spirit. And those cells divide and divide and divide until finally those cells then start to differentiate. And some become become um, neural cells, the beginning of neural cells. And then those neural cells eventually differentiate into, into nerves and, and the brain. And it's just fascinating. And then you have another set of kinds of cells. They're called stem cells. You've heard the word stem cells. And these cells originate and they begin the bone tissue. And the other cells begin the, the, the skin tissue. And all of these cells then differentiate into muscle and different kinds of muscle. And and it's just fascinating. And I remember asking my histology professor as he was talking about, um, and we were in a lab and he was talking about the development of, of embryos, um, as they like to call them, the development of children and living beings inside the womb. And um, he was talking about how in biology there are certain genes that are turned on. Genes are those things that tell your cells what to do, right? Um, tell your cells what color eyes that they'll have, and so on and so forth. So there are certain cells, genes that are turned on in the development of a child early on, just for a few moments, and then they're turned off, never to be turned on again. Never to be turned on again. Fascinating. And I asked the professor, I said, well, what tells the genes when to turn on and when to turn off? And he said, I don't know. Nobody knows. A lot of things about this world that science claims to know, but we simply do not know. But I do know this. Inside of my wife are two beautiful babies right now. The miracle of life, but then when you have the miracle of two lives, 
at one time. So if the Lord continues to bless, um, then in November or October sometime, we will have five children <laughs> under four years, four years of age and under. Our life is crazy and I love it. It's crazy and I love it. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's exciting. Twins. We're having twins. So, yeah, thank you. You, you please pray for my wife. I'm serious. Really pray for her. It's, there's going to be a lot of struggles. And we don't consider... Children bring... <laughs> Children bring burdens, right? I mean, children bring trials, but we don't consider the child a, a trial. We consider it a blessing. Yeah, it brings trials, but those trials are blessings which will make us, hopefully, if we respond in the right way, more Christ-like. So I ask you to pray for my wife, and I ask you to pray for me that I would be a better husband. Um, so it's, there's going to be a lot of uh, difficulty uh, balancing and juggling things as there already is. So we just ask that you pray for us. And this is, listen, we're not anyone special. There's a lot of different families in here that need prayer for raising their children. A lot of different families in here that have a lot of children. And it's not, it's not easy raising children. And so we just ask that you would pray not just for us, but for all of the families. I think of Ethan and Rachel. They have a, a bunch of kids, and one of them needs a lot of attention. They need a lot of prayer. So just remember to keep Ethan and Rachel up in your prayers. Well, I took, I actually had a PowerPoint prepared, and I grew really frustrated this morning. I think I'm over it now. But, um, and look, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to waste more time, and I hate the fact that I'm doing this, but I want to say this. I actually had a PowerPoint prepared, and it was two slides. The first slide said, God Incomprehensible, with a subtitle, The Trinity. And then the next slide was the picture of two babies in a womb. So I was going to play that. I had this big thing planned, and then um, Windows. I hate Windows. <laughs> I do, man. I mean, if, if I took a Windows PowerPoint and put it on my, Mac, my MacBook, then it would work. But if I take a MacBook PowerPoint and put it on Windows, it doesn't work. That's ridiculous. Windows is garbage. So I'm, <laughs> I'm over that now. Um, <laughs> So frustrating, man. I had this all planned and spent five minutes putting that PowerPoint together. And my soul. All right, I'm okay. Here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being so good to us. Lord, I just pray that you would help me to be disciplined and keep on the topic this morning, Lord, to just fill me with your spirit, Lord, and keep me filled, Lord. I just pray that you would give attentive ears to what you would have them to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I brought up all of those things about the development of the child because the truth is, is that that is an incomprehensible thing. We cannot comprehend it. And that is not the only thing that is incomprehensible in, in nature. We look and view so many different things. And science tries to come so close and they try so hard and they say that there is nothing that cannot be explained, that there's nothing that's called a miracle. But the fact is, is that there are things all of the time that they cannot explain. 
They simply cannot explain it. They like to call them singularities, as in something just doesn't observe the laws of nature. And for that one moment, like the Big Bang, it just singularly happened, ignoring all of the laws. We call that a miracle. They call it some scientific word called a singularity. And then they're allowed to say that it's not a miracle and it's completely logical, though it's completely illogical. But you and I both know that our lives are filled with things that are illogical. They are filled with things that are incomprehensible. They are filled with things that are miracles. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the incomprehensible God. We read in Hosea chapter 4... Are you in chapter 4? I didn't give you a chapter. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. We have here in the book of Hosea, God saying, listen, you guys are pretending to worship me, but you're not. You're worshiping something else. You say that you have a knowledge of God, but you don't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be lying. You wouldn't be stealing. You wouldn't be committing adultery. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God has placed on my heart a desire to see revival and a calling for revival in our local churches in America. However, we will not see revival as long as our people go on ignorant of who God is. And you read these verses and it seems like a hard charge. And you look at that and you say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't do this and that. But the fact is, is that, listen, if you're not giving your tithes and offerings, then you are stealing. You're stealing from a holy God. The Bible says in, uh, Jesus said in the Gospels, he said that if you think upon in your heart upon a woman with lust, then you're committing adultery in your heart. And you and I look at these verses and we say that they don't apply to us. But the fact is, is that according to God, they do apply to us. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. How does this connect with committing adultery and stealing and defrauding our neighbors and so many other things? How does this apply to the sins that are in our lives? The fact is, is that the more we know who God is and accept it and believe it in our hearts, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, the more changed we will be into his likeness. The less likely, whenever we understand that God is omniscient, he knows everything, and he's also a righteous judge, the more we know and understand and come to believe that God is who he says he is, the more likely we are going to not commit adultery in our hearts, men. Not say no to God the provider of all things, whenever he asks us to give something. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me thy way, Lord. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. You can't walk in the truth of God if you don't know God. 
Unite my heart to fear thy name. You can't fear God if you don't know him. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can't come to a relationship that will be a fruitful relationship and your knowledge of who God is if those, all of those theological things that you have in your mind don't meet your heart. We're not just talking about knowing about God. We are talking about knowing God. These things thou hast done, and I kept silence, Psalm 50, 21. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as, as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. You thought that I was altogether such a one as thyself. Listen, we... We all the time look at other churches that are more liberal than us and we point our fingers at them and say, well, they obviously don't know God. They're obviously bringing God down to our level, to, 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 to human level, and they're, they're, they're taking the dignity away from God and they're taking the honor and the glory away from God. They're not lifting him up as a high and lifted up transcendent, holy, holy, holy God. But you and I need to stop pointing our fingers at others and look inside of our own hearts as to whether or not we really actually believe God is who he says he is. But we, we cannot arrive there until we, we know God, know who he is in as much as is possible. You see... This is the importance of the introduction of all that, that I'm about to say. We must think rightly about God. We must think rightly about God. And we don't arrive at right thoughts about God from our own opinions and the things that we observe in the lives of other people. We don't arrive at right thoughts. Because what we observe are things that are through our clouded, sinful, ignorant eyes. We only arrive at right thoughts about God by rightly dividing the word of God. There is simply, my brothers and sisters, not just for America, not just for our churches, make it personal, for our local church... There is no hope for revival as long as we take the doctrines of God that that pastor presented years ago and we take them and we just consider them as a head knowledge, but they don't actually reach our heart on a day-to-day basis. There is no hope for revival. You cannot have the kind of revival that God intends for your life if you're not using the knowledge that he's given you. Those who know little about God live lasciviously. They live like the publicans and sinners and we, that we read about in the Gospels. But those who know much about God but don't actually apply it to their hearts, their knowledge hasn't reached their hearts, they live lives of Pharisees. They're always condemning others but not looking inside of their own hearts, not realizing that all that head knowledge has never actually reached them to the point where it actually changed them. Because the truth is, is that if you and I took the things that we knew about God, the things that you and I knew, know about God, as ignorant as we are, 
If we took those things and applied them to our hearts, we would be changed on a day-to-day basis. There is not an encounter in Scripture where a man meets God. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Moses, Abraham, Jacob. There is not an encounter in Scripture where a man comes face-to-face with God and is not changed. Yet you and I come face-to-face with God as we open our Bibles and we read them and we study about the attributes of God and we go on unchanged. There's a problem there. I'm afraid that one of the biggest reasons that we don't have revival in America is that Christians just simply don't believe that God is who he says he is. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. If we were able to gaze in to see what others truly believe about God, then we would be able to predict where they will be ten years from now. You see, this is just a law of mankind that whatever we view God to be, that's what we move towards inside of our own hearts and lives. Not what we say we believe or what we do at this time and the next time, but what we actually believe, our consistent conduct of our lives. This is why we must study the divine attributes of God. When we talk and consider what an attribute is, we're simply loosely saying something that tells us who God is. You see, you and I have many attributes. Some of us, some of you are good looking and some of us are ugly. This is just, those are attributes, right? Some of us are tall, some of us are short, some of us are slim and some of us are not slim. Some of us have brown eyes and some of us have blue eyes. That's just the way that it is. You and I have arms and legs, but we could have an arm cut off and still be who we are. God has attributes. You cannot cut an attribute off of God and him continue to be God. You see, you and I are divisible. You can cut things off from us. Our hair can change from brown to gray or no hair at all. These things can happen to us, but God doesn't lose any of his attributes. He doesn't diminish in any of his attributes. There are no attributes that are in conflict with one another. There are no opposing attributes. God's attributes are not like our attributes. I can lose an eye and still be Aaron. God cannot lose the attribute of being a merciful God and still be God. He also cannot lose the attribute of being a judging God and still be God. It's simply impossible. In other words, you cannot divide God into parts. So when we study the attributes of God, understand that when we look at these things, we're looking at a particular aspect of God that he's revealed to us about himself, but we're not excluding everything else about God because they're all intimately intertwined. They all connect because they're all one. There is one God. He is a unified God, and he is not divisible. We have a habit of viewing God like we view ourselves. 
Again, bringing God down to our level, bringing a low view of God. For example, we think we know something about the merciful God and God being a judge. And we try to interact with that with our children and lives as, as parents. But we have trouble conceiving the fact that there's not a balance between being a judging God, being a just God, and being a merciful God. God doesn't say today I'm going to ignore judgment and be merciful. They're not in conflict with each other. There's not a state of balance that exists. He is 100% holy, just, and he's 100% holy, merciful. To think wrongly about God is to think of him as other than he is, something else that he's not. To do this is a form of idolatry. You and I read all through the scriptures about how the nation of Israel worshipped idols. And we say, how could they do that? My soul, how could Aaron form a golden calf after seeing the miracles of God? How could he do that? How could they fashion gods and worship them? How could they be so guilty of idolatry? And we look at that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And we think that it doesn't apply to us today. But the fact is, is that idolatry always starts in the mind. And it always starts with a wrong view of who you think God is. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. We sing, we praise His name, we sing hymns about His different attributes, but we so often believe Him to have attributes that He doesn't, or to have a perversion of His attributes. For example, we say God is love, and so we should just accept sin like God accepts Sin. No, no, no. God doesn't accept sin. He might be merciful, but he does not accept sin. That is not love. Going on about our lives and accepting sin, that's not loving. The most loving thing that you can do for a person who's out of the way is to instruct them in the word of God. Not wink at their sin and turn your shoulder to their sin. But instruct them out of the word of God that things will not go well with them. And they are sinning against a holy, righteous God. Reminds me of Paul stood up in the Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. We live in the information age in our churches. We can get on our phones and look at the different attributes of God. We have information available to us like no other generation has had information available to us. But we are also one of the most ignorant generations, I believe, that has ever existed. We are so smart that we're stupid. We've become the intellectual idiots of the world. And it's a big problem, folks. Because us doing this and having a lack of knowledge of who God is, we will be destroyed. Our families will be destroyed. Our churches will be destroyed. And our country is falling apart at the seams because of it. 
Whatever we visualize God to be, he is not. We cannot fathom or visualize who God really is. For we have constructed our image out of that which he has made. And what he has made is not God. If we insist on upon trying to imagine him, we end with an idol. Made not with hands, but with thoughts. And an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not think wrong thoughts about God. Thou shalt not read the Bible and God says, I am thus. And you say, yeah, but what about this that happened in my life? We cannot say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And then in the midst of trials and difficult circumstances, shake our fists to God and curse God and say, why would God do this to me? I was living a good life. I was coming to church. I was reading my Bible. I was in prayer. Why would God do this to me? There are two different whys that you can ask God whenever you're going through troubles. You can ask God in the right heart and the pure heart and say, Lord, What are you trying to teach me? Because in all of your trials and circumstances, he's always trying to teach you something. That's the right kind of why. But then there's the wrong kind of why. And that is saying, how could he actually be good and do this to me? That is a foolish, ignorant question. And that is a question full of sin. And it's not okay. God is incomprehensible. In all of his attributes, rather they, rather they be his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his holy trinity, and every single attribute, even his goodness, they are incomprehensible. You and I cannot comprehend them. And so who are we with finite minds? Who are we to take our fists and shake them at God and questioning him as to whether or not he is who he says he is? Who are we to do that against an infinite God? who loves us and gave his own life for us and suffered for us and provides all things good for us, who are we to question God? Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. In other words, who are you to question God? You can't figure out the things that he reveals to you. You can't comprehend the Holy Trinity. And yet you're going to question God about the things that are in your life and say, why would you do this to me, God? Well, I thought God was omnipotent. Why is he allowing these things to happen in my life? I thought he was sovereign. Why would a sovereign and a good God allow these things to happen in my life? No, no, no. The question to ask in those circumstances is, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you are who you say you are, and I'm going to trust you. I ask you to show me, open my eyes, that I might know who you are more. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given unto him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory, glory forever. Amen. God has revealed things to us about himself through his word. He's also revealed things about himself through nature. And we can take these things and learn things about God, sifting them not through nature and our own perceptions of things going on in our lives around us, but through the holy, inspired word of God. So often you and I get on the wrong ground. We get in the devil's playground of, of using things about God and trying to reason, reason with them and trying to, trying to perceive them in an intellectual way. And we try to, try to create a reason for everything happening. And we try to, try to explain away the attributes of God. Like the Holy Trinity. Uh, you hear... Well, it's kind of like water. It has gas, and it's sometimes liquid, and it's sometimes solid. It's sometimes ice. No, that doesn't explain the Holy Trinity, because water can not be water and ice at the same time. Yet Jesus Christ and God are both one at the same time. They share all of those attributes together. Because if they don't, one of them is not God, and he's not a triune God. You can't explain it. You simply cannot explain it. You can use things to try to help you to get to a more, to a more understanding of it, I guess. But the truth is, is that the Holy Trinity is something that is not understandable. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet there are not three gods but one God, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Every attribute that is in God is in the Father and, and, and the Son, and every attribute that is in the Son is in the Holy Ghost. Let's read it this way, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. In heaven, one plus one plus one does not equal three. One plus one plus one, it equals one. And you and I try by our own reason and our own intellect fail and falling to our knees and just worshiping God for who he is and who he said he is. We try to sift things not through the word of God, but through our own reasoning and through our own intellect. Instead of just believing that he is who he says he is and that one plus one plus one actually equals one and not three. No, we say, well, it's kind of like... A man is a son, but he's also a husband, and he's also a father. Well, that man is still one person, but God is three. It, we fall short again. Whatever explanation that you can make from, from the dealings, interactions with mankind or nature, it always falls short. And listen, this is the lesson we're concluding right now. 
This is the lesson. With every attribute of God, you need to understand that it is incomprehensible. You cannot comprehend it. So in those attributes of God, whether it be the goodness of God, whether it be the Trinity, whether it be the omnipotence of God, He's all-powerful, He's the Almighty, we cannot and we must not bring God down to our own level and sift that through the reason and the intellect of our own carnal, ignorant reasoning. We cannot do that because when we do that, we make God out to be something that he's not. And then we are guilty of idolatry. And idolatry of the mind, making God out to be something that he is not, is just as wicked and just as evil as making a statue of Buddha. It's not okay. We must believe that God is who he says he is. I'll close with this quote. John Bunyan writer of Pilgrim's Progress, said, It is great lewdness and also insufferable arrogancy to come to the word of God as conceding already that whatever thou readest must either, be, must either by thee be understood or of itself fall to the ground as a senseless error. But God is wiser than man. Wherefore, fear thou him and tremble at his word, saying still with godly suspicion of thine own infirmity, What I see not... Teach thou me, and thou art God only wise, but as for me, I was a be as a beast before thee. I was as a beast before thee. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.